We have been working our way through the book of Acts this Easter, exploring what it means not only to be a follower of Jesus, but to be church together. And we pick up where we left off last week in the second chapter of Acts, verse 42. So listen now to the word of God for the people of God. Scripture says they devoted themselves, this early church, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they also broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> the cost of living with a preacher is that Saturday nights are not very much fun. There are no Taylor Swift concerts here. We were at the ICM Heart and Home last night, the fundraising event, and it hit about 9 o'clock, and Wait could tell I was, like, jittery. It was time to go home. And he usually looks at me on a Saturday night after we get the kids to bed and says, uh, you're going to work on your sermon, aren't you? And I would like it to be noted that my sermon is almost always written before Saturday night, but there's something about that ritual as a preacher. I just need some time with it. Like I said, I am no fun on Saturdays. But the benefit for Wait is that on Saturday nights, he gets the remote control all to himself. And that means that he gets to watch all of those psychological thriller shows that I absolutely can't stand. And on occasion, I'll come in after working and ask him what he's watching, fairly certain it's one of those shows that's going to keep me up all night. And one week, I walked in and found him watching a show on Apple TV called Severance. Now, it should be clear, I did not finish this show, but I did watch enough to get a snippet. And the premise of the show, for those of you who enjoy these shows, I promise I won't ruin it. The premise of the show is that these characters work at a company called Lumen Industries, and they've undergone this kind of medical mind-swiping procedure called severance. And it means that the memory and consciousness and life of the employee when they're at work is completely separated from the memory and the consciousness of your life outside of work. When you're at work, you have no memory of who you were in the parking lot, 
And when you leave and go home, you don't bring any of that work baggage with you. You live a severed life. Now, for those of us who have a hard time with the concept of like work-life balance or turning off our email when we're at home with our family, this might sound like kind of an attractive premise. Work stays at work, home stays at home. But as you can imagine, trouble arises making the transition back and forth. Because as much as we think this sounds attractive, as much as we like to separate certain aspects of our lives, we also want to trust that who we are, our core identity, is the same no matter where we are. Humans desire to be whole. But there is something about this show, right? It can feel at times like our lives get split. When we're here, we're church people. When we're out there, we're all manner of other things. Soccer mom, pack leader dad, business executive, organizer of the literary club, neighbor, performer, spouse. You get the idea. Our lives sometimes feel like they're dictated by our calendars, which means our activities determine our identities, and church becomes just another thing on the list in our otherwise compartmentalized lives. And in one sense, today's scripture reading can sound like another one of those lists of activities, ways to fill the calendar by being church. But for the early church, this isn't just a list. Being a follower of Jesus was the most important aspect of their identity, and they wanted their life here and their life out there to be congruent. And so they engaged together in church life what they do because they wanted to, in, to ground their identity, who they are, in Jesus Christ. They turned this severance idea on its head, right? For the early church, it wasn't we are what we do. It was we do these things because of who we are in Christ. And when you know who you are, then your core identity as a child of God is true no matter where you go. Whether you are at church or at home or at work or out in the world, in your baptism, you belong to Christ. Always. Full stop. And these early Christians wanted to live a life that wasn't severed. They wanted to be whole. And I think we do too. But they also knew, just like today, that there are a lot of factors out there competing for our attention and our identity. And so these first followers of Jesus knew that they needed a community to shape them and strengthen them and remind them of their identity in Christ. We've heard in the last two weeks in Acts that those who gathered on Pentecost heard the story of the risen Christ and they were so moved by that story that they wanted to know what, what to do. And last week they asked Peter, and Peter said, repent and be baptized. And Acts tells us right before this morning's reading that some 3,000 of them were. But baptism, what we just did here at this font, is not some magical moment in which you are saved 
as if your eternal life rested on this moment and once the water has touched your head, you can go on your merry way. To be baptized is to say, I belong to Christ. Above all, I am claimed by a loving God, and therefore I am made to share that love in the world. On my best days when I love others well, I'm a beloved child of God. And on my worst days when I totally fail, I'm still a beloved child of God. What was clear to Peter and these early believers is that they were going to need each other to remind them of that promise, to be shaped by that love regularly in order for that core identity to shine through. We need a community to put flesh on the bones of that good news. We are not made to follow Christ alone. So in this morning's passage, we get this list of essential activities of church. Worship, study, pray, fellowship together and break bread. We're good at that one here. Care for one another, serve, and give. Not just of yourself, but of your resources. Sounds like church, doesn't it? At Morningside, we ground it in uh, these four words, worship, serve, grow, and be. And what is absolutely amazing to me is that the essential activities of church have not changed in 2,000 years. And the reason we do them hasn't changed either. We do these things, these essential things, just like the early church, because what we do together reminds us of who we are in Christ. We enact here what it means to follow Christ out there in the world when we leave this place as well. We practice here as a team so that we are ready to be Christ's disciples out there. And it helps ground us so that we know who we are so that that can be reflected and recognizable to those that we meet. Now, let's be clear, it is not to say that being church is easy. Any of you who have been a part of this community or any church community for a short time know that there are some people who are going to annoy you. And shared life together means that you're not always going to get your way. <laughs> and that can be really frustrating at times. Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove took this idea to, about being church to heart. He not only goes to worship every Sunday, but he lives in an intentional Christian community called the Rutva House in Durham, North Carolina. He literally shares his home and his life and the food in his fridge with disciples that come and go but commit to being church when they are there. And he describes Christian community this way. He says, just like a beautiful song on a guitar, it takes a whole lot of work and practice, and it can be pretty frustrating. Community, he says, is actually a whole lot of meetings and a whole lot of trying to live together with people who can frustrate you, and sometimes it's saying the same thing over and over again for about 20 years. And, he says, community is the way of the cross. It can open us up to new life. It is the good news. And it is the life worth giving everything for.
When we commit to these essential practices of church life together, when we engage in the joy and the grit of sharing life as a congregation, when we practice in a community of grace where we can mess up and still be loved, then we're able to carry that baptismal promise out into the world, you You are a beloved child of God here and there and everywhere. Morningside's tagline, Journey Together, is, I think, a way of naming and being reminded that all of us are here because we are on a journey of faith. And each of our entry points to this community is different, And each of the stories that we carry into this community together are different, and the questions that we wrestle with may vary. But we have chosen to be church together, to pattern our lives around these essential things, and we do so not just to fill our calendars, but to ground our identity as Christ's own. We gather here to worship, grow, serve, and be together so that we can be sent out, refreshed by the promises of our own baptism. And we're reminded of that promise, not just by me as your pastor, but by each other when we share in church life together. Much like towns, I was baptized as an infant. And besides the pictures in the family photo album at home, I don't remember anything about that particular day. And if I hadn't gone to church ever again, I would still be a beloved child of God. You heard it in this morning's liturgy, the promise is true and for you, that we love because Christ first loved us. But I can also tell you without a doubt that I am standing here as a pastor, not because I saw some bright light on a Damascus road like Paul, and not because I heard the most compelling sermon like Peter on that, in that Pentecost crowd. I'm standing here today because of the thousands of little ways that the church reminded me I was Christ's own. Not just at my baptism, but for the many years to follow. I'm here because Mrs. Glidewell tolerated a whole bunch of annoying second graders in Sunday school because she thought it was important for us to learn the stories. I'm here because of the songs we learned at Vacation Bible School. I'm here because of Penny, a youth group sponsor, who would come up and grab me by the shoulders every week and say, Catherine Louise, you are a beloved child of God, despite the fact that my middle name is not Louise. I'm here because when I went off to college, an elderly church member named Rachel wrote me snail mail letters once a month reporting on the weather in Kansas and whether my mom had showed up on time to fold the church bulletin because she thought I would like to know. I'm here because the church did what was essential for me to know that I belonged to God. I'm here because the living saints reminded me that I was Christ's own every time I walked through those doors. I'm here because the church was the church, and they did what was essential. And so today is a special day for another of God's beloved children. 
But at some point, maybe even already, Towns' forehead will dry, and he won't remember this day. And it is not just Whitney and Daniel's job, but it is all of our jobs to be church for Towns, to remind him when we see him that he's a beloved child of God, to pass the peace of Christ with him. It's our job to volunteer at Vacation Bible School where he can learn what it means to be loved. It's our job to provide dinner for him when he's a youth and he can literally devour everything in sight. It's our job to take his questions seriously and to ask how we can pray for him. It's our job when he's old enough to serve alongside him at Dobbs Elementary when he doesn't quite know how to use a paintbrush but wants to paint the walls anyway. It's our job to do those essential things, to worship and grow and serve and be together so that when Towns goes out into the world and he feels a bead of sweat on his brow because he's been busy running around and playing, he can remember the water on his head this morning and know that no matter where he goes, he was and is and always will be Christ's own. May it be so. Amen.